Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Today's episode features an excerpt from a Blackboard Foundation Solutions webinar. To access the full webinar, click on the link in the show notes. I'm your host, Mark Giroux, Senior Account Executive at Blackbaud, and today I am pleased to be joined by Helga Hoven, at the Grants Officer at the um, Abel Hanger Foundation, Jessica Tudyk, the Program Officer at the Mary E. Bivens Foundation, and Veronica Dixon, Grants Manager at the FMH Foundation. As I've worked with many of my Foundation customers, we discuss how they currently measure the social impact of the measurements of the investments that they, for the causes they support, Many foundations would like to have a more defined measurement process, but they're not sure where to start. Today's webinar is not focused on a specific solution, but more on the process. We hope the webinar today provides you with a good understanding of how to get started, how to iterate through the process, and how to report on your foundation's accomplishments. With that, let's begin. Our guest today will be Veronica from FMH, and I'll let her get started. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I'm Veronica Dixon with the FMH Foundation. We are a private foundation in uh, Midland, Texas, and we uh, fund anywhere in the Permian Basin of Texas, which is a pretty large region, but we are restricted to that region. And um, we primarily focus on health. That's a big area for us, as well as the arts. And then we also do some community things and cultural type things. So that's kind of who we are. And I just wanted to kind of share some insight with you all on uh, how we um, started this process in our foundation and what kind of things we went through before we even launched it. So jumping right in, this um, beautiful woman you see on the right side of your screen is our founder, uh, Florence Marie Hall, um, who our foundation was named after. And she uh, was really, really good and thoughtful about um, the intention of her giving. In fact, we we borrowed an excerpt here from her donor intent, which uh, she talks about um, being maternal about her giving. And she wants to know, um, you know, where her money went and what came of it. And she also expected accountability. Uh, our foundation is very big on kind of follow-up and making sure that the, that the money went where it should have gone and for the purpose that it was intended. So she was really good about that, and she um, instilled that in us. Uh, we lost our donor, Florence Marie Hall. She passed away in 2017, but we are fortunate that all of our current board members personally knew her, and they've been able to help kind of share, you know, her thoughts and ideas with us as we've launched into um, outcomes and impact reporting. So so what we did is we just looked at our, our mission statement first, and I think that's really good um, advice with any foundation. Where do you start? Just keep the main thing the main thing. Look at your mission statement and um, also any written donor intent. If your donors are no longer living, a lot of a lot of foundations have a really good donor intent down. You can also just look at the the history of giving and what your foundation has has given to historically to kind of, that set a precedent for you. It's also you know if you don't really have a good strong direction about what maybe what program areas to look at or focus on, you can con- consider a strategic planning with your board. It might be a great time for you to you know talk with your board and say, you know what areas um, do we really want to make an impact in. 
So that helps a lot. Um, an example is um, for our foundation is um, rural broadband, which has really been a hot topic, COVID and everything going on. Uh, we really wanted to see, you know, if we could make it make a difference in um, access, not only for education, but telemedicine and those kinds of things. So that's an example of a specific impact that we want to make. Um, more specifically, we, we used the um, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals um, as kind of some ideas, general broad ideas that we could look at, hey, what, what parts of that match our donor intent and our intention, as well as BlackBot offers a really great list of outcomes. It's called the Outcomes Taxonomy, and it's just this huge, awesome list of of different outcomes and ways to word it. When you kind of get an idea of where you want to give, you can look at those, and those can really help kind of help you word it right. And you can always tweak them to fit your your foundation. So that's kind of where we started off um, internally. But I also want to discuss with you guys how we approached this with our grantees. So the one of the most important things, I think, is to make sure that you are using the same lingo or that your grantees understand what lingo you're using. So uh, we, for example, outputs versus outcomes. They're two different things, um, but if you're not familiar with it, it just sounds like a bunch of jargon. So, so an example that we used in one of our group trainings that we did was borrowing from an example from the innovation network, um, like a highway construction company's outputs would be the number of highway miles they built or repaired. Like those are actual hard concrete numbers. That's what they did. That's the action they took. But the highway construction company's outcomes are the differences made by those outputs. For example, better traffic flow, shorter travel time, uh, and fewer accidents. So I think if, if, as you start talking to grantees, use a really general example like that that people can understand. So then when you start saying outputs or outcomes, they're like, oh, okay. So it's not necessarily what action we took, but what the result of that action was. Um, I think it's also really important to make sure, especially if, you, if your foundation's been around a long time and been giving very generously and never really asked for people to track outcomes or impact, I think it's important for you to explain why it's important to funders. There's kind of a general shift uh, in philanthropy from kind of checkbook philanthropy where you're just giving because giving is the right thing to do to actual social investment. And I think there's a lot of funders, um, private um, personal funders, foundations, community foundations that want to know, they want to return on their investment. They want to know what the impact was. And I think that it's important to have those conversations with your grantees so they know where you're coming from. It's also really important to kind of start by meeting each nonprofit where they are in the process. You're going to have some grantees that are already really, really good about tracking things. They might have an annual report that they put out. They already have systems in place to track these numbers and report it to other to funders. And you're going to have other folks, bless their hearts, that don't even know how to start. They don't even know where to start. They don't think they have enough staff to start. And you're just going to have to have those conversations with them kind of one-on-one. So what we did is we um, actually partnered up with the Abel Hanger Foundation with Helga, who you're going to hear from in just a minute. And we had some big group trainings. And we invited in a consultant that um, has been working in our nonprofit community for years here locally. So she knew the community, she knew the language, and um, she could really talk to the grantees um, as one of them and explain what this is and why we're doing this. And I think that was really valuable. Um, you'll see on the right side of the screen there, there's a kind of a post-training survey that we took. 
just to get an example, you know, get a feel for how people responded, if it helped them, uh, where they were at beforehand going into it, and then what where they were at afterwards. And so those are, and that was also then an example of ways for our grantees to know, hey, here's a really super easy way you can track the impact or the, you know, the effect of what you're doing. So that was um, helpful, but I will say we also followed up very much so with, you know, one-on-one, after people kind of had time to process it and think through it, we followed up with people one-on-one in our office, on the phone, and just kind of help them through more specifically what it means to them if they needed that help. So that's kind of how we kicked it off, and I'm going to pass it on over to Jessica now. Thank you. Um, so my name is Jessica Tudyk, and I am the program officer at the Mary E. Bivens Foundation. Um, and I just want to share a little bit about the process that we went through uh, in the hopes that it gives someone an idea for how they might can start tracking outcomes or how they uh, – might implement some of the things that uh, we did. Uh, I think that it's important to remember that no two processes are going to look identical. They're not going to look the same. Uh, and so, you know, take the pieces that uh, make the most sense to you and try to incorporate them. So the Mary E. Bivens Foundation was founded in 1949, uh, and the purpose is to improve quality of life for residents of the Texas Panhandle. Uh, we are a place-based funder, uh, and we fund the top 26 counties of the Texas Panhandle. I think it's kind of helpful to have a better understanding of the area that we serve, but um, it's mostly rural, spans almost 26,000 square miles. Uh, we only have about 400,000 residents throughout those uh, 26 counties, and uh, a lot of our counties actually have more cows than they have people, uh, and so a lot of very rural, uh, even some frontier counties. And so the foundation has three primary focus areas, elder care, grant making, and scholarships. Uh, and so today I'm going to share just a little bit uh, regarding our scholarship program specifically. So the mission of the scholarship program is to educate ministers to preach the Christian religion. We fund upper-level undergraduates, so juniors and seniors, or graduate education uh, in a degree that is le- or in an educational pursuit that is leading to a bachelor's or a master's degree in a field that prepares the student to preach the Christian religion or enter into vocational ministry. Uh, we have a preference for individuals who intend to serve as pulpit preachers upon graduation. Um, our annual scholarship budget is about $300,000 per year. Uh, and every year we have approximately 30 scholars on our program. Um, so I think it's helpful to understand the context there that we have a pretty small, a pretty narrow uh, scholarship program, which drove a lot of our processes. So 18 months ago, um, I started at the foundation um, and started asking the question, uh, you know, are our scholars preaching the Christian religion? Are we fulfilling the, the mission that Mary Bivens set for us? We were about to embark on a uh, review of our policy. Um, Our scholarship policy was kind of antiquated. And so before we did that, we really wanted to know the answer to those questions so that it could help drive our policy creation or our policy update. Uh, so the first place I started was the logic model, and I, I don't want anyone to be overwhelmed by this slide. I know there's a lot of information, a lot of colors, a lot of things on this slide, and it can be very overwhelming, but, but I don't really want this to overwhelm anyone. This is the process that we took. We took all the pieces of our scholarship program and put it in a logic model um, because that's what makes sense to me, and that's what makes sense to, to what we were doing. What this really is is just an if-then So if you start on the left, you can see if we have funding from the foundation, then 
we can provide scholarship funds. And if we provide scholarship funds, we have a certain number of students that are receiving funding, and we have a certain amount of money per, per scholarship uh, student. And so it really just, to me, helps outline, if we do this, then we see this. If we have this, then we do that, and really builds sort of a common sense tree for us to follow to see what our scholarship program is doing. The reason I went this direction, um, and this is my simple explanation, is if we wanted to make sure that we were giving yellow shirts everybody. That was our goal. We wanted everybody in our service area to have yellow shirts. And we go back to our input and we have green dye and something's wrong with our model. Or we either need to change what our input is or we need to change what we're expecting out of the outcome. So, so that helps you understand sort of the purpose. And that's why I wanted to show you the logic model, not to get caught up in those details, not to get caught up in what it was, but just to see that that's the process we took. If we do this, then we do this. If we do this, then we do this. To see what are our outcomes, what are we trying to measure. And so based on that, we got our, um, again, what Veronica talked about, the, the output versus outcome. So we went further on down the tree to this outcome side to really see not just how many students do we have, but we want to see what the impact is on those students. And so our medium-term outcomes are that we hope to have scholars that are prepared to preach the Christian religion and lead a church. And then we hope that long-term we have scholars who are preaching the Christian religion, employed by a church, located in the Texas Panhandle. So those are the things that we want to see that our scholars are doing. So those that's what we want to track and measure. And so what data do we need based on what we're trying to see? So we need to know if they've obtained a religious degree. That's how we're measuring if they're qualified to preach the Christian religion and lead a church. We need to know if they have preaching responsibilities as a part of their job, if they're employed by a church, and if they're located in the Texas Panhandle. So once we determine the pieces of data that we needed, Oh, and I just want to point out one thing that, you know, on that logic model, there was a lot of different things we could have looked at. Um, and there's a lot of things outside of these four uh, data points that we did look at from a process standpoint and other things. But the primary focus on this is really those outcomes. So just wanted to point that out before we move forward. So these are the four pieces of data that we needed to focus on. So then I had to think through how do we capture this data? Like, how do we capture the information? And so what we decided to do was we decided to use Blueprint through Blackboard. And I don't have time today to go really into the details of, of how to create custom fields and how to create or change your forms. Uh, but that's what we did is we used the Blueprint module to create custom fields to track that data and then adjusted a form so that we could see that information. So you can see on this slide some of the custom fields that we created. And again, there's some fields in there that are related to other things we were looking at, not necessarily outcome evaluation. But one of the main things I want to point out about this slide regarding our custom fields is sort of towards the bottom, three from the bottom, there's a Bivens Scholar flag. So what I decided to do is we were going to track the information on our contact form. So all of our scholars are in our blunt making so our software as contacts, and I wanted to be able to just pull out those that are scholars because we have nonprofit uh, executives, we have nonprofit board members, we have educational institution contacts, we have lots of different contacts in our system, and I just wanted to be able to pull out the ones that were scholars to look at the data. And so that's one of the custom builds I created is just to be able to note which contacts are our scholars. And then on the second slide, you can see the fields that we created. Those, those four are highlighted. So uh, if their current employer is a church, you can see a true-false flag. And then if their current employer is in the panhandle, you can see, again, a true-false flag for that. 
if they have current preaching responsibilities associated with their job, uh, also true-false. And then um, down at the bottom, you can see that religious degree flag. So one thing I'll point out is the religious degree doesn't change. So once a student has or a scholar's received a religious degree, they don't at any point in time lose that religious degree. That's something that's stable consistently for the rest of kind of their life. But those <laughs> other three, employed in a church, employed in the panhandle, and have preaching responsibilities, as you might imagine, those are kind of flexible. Uh, people change jobs, people move, people do other things, and so uh, this wasn't a concrete thing that happens. Over time, this, this data is going to change. And so uh, one of the other fields that we had on that first lab was as of date, so that we could look at that and see when that data was captured and, and when it was true to. So once we got those fields in there, I went into that contact form and created a section. You can see it there called Bivens Scholar Data. And this section includes all the fields that we use in the evaluation of the Bivens Religious Scholarship Program. Uh, again, you can see some fields in there that aren't tied to the four things that I'm talking about today. But on the top right, you can see there that current preaching responsibilities checkbox. Uh, the first on the second line, the first field on the second line, current employer church, you can see that checkbox. The third line at the very end, current employer in a panhandle, and you can see that checkbox. And then down at the bottom, after that D1, which should be degree one amount invested, there's religious degree, and, and it's kind of cut off on the side, but that's that other checkbox for that. So those are the four things we're looking at, and they were pretty simple in the sense that they're just true-false. We want to know, are they true or are they false? So once we got that contact form created, I'll just tell you what we did because we have a small and narrow program and we have a small number of scholars that we were looking at in the time frame. We actually, as staff members, looked up the data and entered it on the back end ourselves. Uh, so we know there's a way we could get uh, the scholars to insert it themselves, but that's how we chose to do it at this point in time. And moving forward, we might change that. Um, that's one of the things I know Mark and I have talked quite a bit about, just that iterative process. Like, it's how we did it to start with, but if we find a better way, then we'll modify it and do it better moving forward. So... After we got those fields entered, all the data entered into the scholars, uh, I created a report in Black Bar Grant Making. And so you can see it there. It's called Scholar Outcome Evaluation Report. And again, I, I don't have time today to go into the details of how I created that report. There's lots of information out there and trainings to help you do that. But it, does, it pulls the data from the scholar records that would include all our outcome data, uh, including the degree and then the three things that we were looking at in terms of uh, long-term outcomes. Uh, and so you can see my filter there has that Bivens Scholar is a flag. A flag is yes. So as long as they have that Bivens Scholar, they would pull into this report and we'd be able to see the data for them, uh, which is on this next slide. Of course, it's adjusted and we've taken out uh, any personal identifying information. Uh, but you can see this is the report that pulls out. Um, has their name, the amount that we've invested over time. Again, some of those other things on the logic model that we wanted to look at. Uh, but then you can see if they've obtained a religious degree, uh, yes or no. Uh, the ones on here all have except that bottom one. You can see the no. And then moving over, you can see preach, church, and Texas Panhandle. And that's kind of the shorthand for do they have preaching responsibilities? Are they uh, employed by a church? And are they located in the Texas Panhandle? And you can see even our first one, he is preaching. He's in the church, but he's not located in the Texas Panhandle. And so that helped us uh, pull out that data. And then I was able to take that data uh, and, excuse me, export it into Excel. And then once I had it into Excel, I could synthesize some of that data. And so you can see uh, some of that exported data here. Um, again, the time frame we use is 2010 to 2018 past scholars. So that was another thing we tracked just to kind of point out what that means. But our scholars sometimes are on the program four to six years. And so they're receiving funds for that time frame. And so if they had, they were currently receiving funds, the board didn't really want to look at that because that's not really indicative of past scholars, people who have, you know, 
hopefully at that point in time graduated and ha- are employed. The students who are currently receiving it would still be going to school, and so it wouldn't necessarily be as accurate. So we only have 77 scholars in that eight-year time frame, um, which was perfect, I think, in terms of uh, a good sample size, but not overwhelming. And you can see, again, some of that data, total investment uh, into all those students, the average investment per student. Uh, and then you can see out of those 77, 44 of them had degrees. So we had 57% of those past scholars uh, were successful in that medium-term outcome that we saw. And then uh, preaching, we had 36% who were had preaching responsibilities as a part of their job. We had 45% who were employed by a church and 25% in the Texas Panhandle. And so, again, one of the pieces of the process, I thought, well, those the three individual numbers are great, but how many of them were doing all three? Um, because I think that's really what we're hoping to see, like the, you know, the, the biggest goal, the best thing we could see is our scholars are doing all three of those. And so 10 of them, uh, so 13% of them were doing all three. Uh, And then you can see one of the other things I was able to do just because I had the data available was split out and say, okay, so how many have we given $10,000 or more? So how many have we really invested in in that time frame? And there was 52 of those scholars in that time frame who'd been given $10,000 or more. Uh, And you can see the average investment there per student went up. Uh, and then we had 75% of those who completed religious-related degrees. And so I thought that was really great information to have. Uh, the, the, the number preaching also went up. The number who were employed by a church also went up when we had that higher investment. And interestingly, those that were located in the Texas pain handle stayed about the same. Uh, and so in that second group, again, about 13% were still doing all three. And so, um, you know, one of my board members, when we got this all done, they said, okay, so is that good or bad? And, uh, you know, I answered, I don't know. This is baseline data. We've never had it before. This is our first picture. Uh, maybe it's spectacular that 25% are still in the Texas pain handle, or maybe it's awful, but we don't know. Uh, but now we at least have the data to know what our current program is, is leading to so that as we adjust the policy, we can do it um, to hopefully get the outcomes that we want to see. 